this weekend we're actually concluding the series that we've called The Transform Way of Living, which is just part of our journey and study through the book of Acts. And, and next weekend, we're going to be moving together along with followers of Jesus around the world into the season of Advent, which is that season of both a preparation for an expectation of Christ's coming and our celebration of his coming at Christmas. Hard to believe it's on us again. And, and today, as, as we're gathered here, and even as we conclude this series, I, I want to give you a chance to respond to how God might be prompting you today. So at the conclusion of our teaching, we're going to have time to invite you to come forward for prayer, or if you'd rather stay where you are, that would be fine. And you can come forward if you want to pray on your own, or we'll have pastors, elders, care team members to pray with you as well. But let's let God's word guide us together. I mean this, if you turn to the book of Acts with me, we're in Acts chapter 3. And, and I'll tell you, my heart, like yours, is so heavy today with, with Jody's passing. And, and, and then we come today to a passage describing a profound physical healing. When we've been praying for healing that didn't come, in, in the way we hoped at least. Because Jody is healed today, she is. Uh, but we have to wait to see her again. But, but I believe that God has some things to form us with and encourage us with from this passage. As ironic as it is that we come to this passage today. And, and just to remind us, as, as we come again to the book of Acts, uh, we've been journeying through this book in, in these past weeks together, in these opening events of the church being formed. We've seen an amazing thing ha happen. Uh, of Pentecost, the Spirit coming in power on God's people. And, and Peter's preaching powerfully to those around him. And the response of 3,000 souls turning in repentance and recognizing Jesus as king, as a sovereign one, the Messiah for them. And in fact, in Acts chapter 2, verse 43, gives this vivid summary of what was taking place. It says simply, And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And then that the church living out this transformed, loving one another community, stunningly so. And so to those events, we now add the event described in our passage today. We're, we're in Acts chapter three together. And we'll begin in verse one. And friends, this is the word of God. And it says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they'd laid daily at the gate of the temple. That's called the beautiful gate. To ask alms of those entering the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He took him by the right hand, raised him up. And immediately his feet, his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. And that word amazement there in the Greek, it's ecstasis. We, we get our word ecstasy from it. They, they were ecstatic. They were, th their mind was displaced is what it means literally. 
because of what had happened to this man. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he again addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. He's glorified his servant, Jesus. Amen? Peter, shout. It's not us, it's Jesus. And, and then Peter rolls into another sermon. You know, even for myself and even as we read this passage together again today, I think some very clear questions arise as we read this Acts 3 account. And, and in light of the setting that's described here, because for one, this is what I want us to see as we begin this. For one, I want you to catch that in the early days of church life, we see a, a pattern unfold for, for their ministry. And it was a pattern of ministry that had also been modeled by Jesus in his ministry. And the pattern was simply this. And again, we see it already in the events of Acts 2 and Acts 3. First, first their ministry is marked by an act of power or authority or healing, some expression of the Spirit. And that's then followed by the preaching of the gospel, the sharing or explaining of the good news of the kingdom of God. Now come in Jesus. Now, if you remember in Acts 2, that's exactly what we saw. Right, right on the heels of the Spirit coming and, and being like flames of fire over people's heads and, and followers of Jesus speaking in these unknown foreign languages, Peter steps up and he preaches, he teaches God's word. And we see the same thing here as we go through Acts 3. This act of spiritual power, of, of conquering really by, by God's power, followed by preaching the kingdom declared. And in the early days of the church, we, we don't have the word being preached in a vacuum without an expression of the Spirit's presence. But neither the works of the Spirit without come, coming without the clear teaching of God's worth. They, they are hand in hand here. There are always both an expression of the Spirit's presence and, and teaching of the word of God. And, and know this. That's the very pattern of Jesus' ministry. In fact, if you remember, as we were going through the book of Matthew together, early on in Matthew, in Matthew chapter four, we read this together. Matthew four, verse 23. And it says, as Jesus went throughout all Galilee, he was teaching in their synagogues. He was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And he was healing every disease, every affliction among the people. Now, the interesting thing about this pattern, though, is that it wasn't just Jesus' pattern for ministry. Look forward to Matthew chapter 10. In, in Matthew 10, in verse 1, we read this. And Jesus called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and affliction. But it says, oh, Jesus, don't just express my power. Don't just work by the Spirit in this way, but also look at verse 7 of Matthew 10. And proclaim as you go, saying... The kingdom of God is at hand. An expression of the Spirit's presence and the teaching of the kingdom. Now, now we might read that and respond, okay, but that was the 12 disciples. That, that was just the apostles. But, but then we jump over to Luke 10, and, and we read this. In, in Luke chapter 10, 
where Jesus says, not just to the 12, but the 72 others, these just kind of regular followers of Jesus, as he sends them out into ministry to the surrounding towns and areas. In Luke 10, verse 9, Jesus says, heal the sick in it. As you go, heal the sick and say to them, teach them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So throughout the Gospels, as, as we read through them, we see the followers of Christ doing this and living this. Okay, expressing the Spirit's presence and, and teaching of the kingdom. And at times they did it really well, but at times they kind of stumbled along in it. I mean, think of Peter at one time. Peter at one time being told, the words you just said, Peter, are the very words of God. And then, what does said to him? Jesus says to him another time, get behind me, Satan. We think of one time of the followers of Jesus coming to him and saying to Jesus, we can't believe it, the demons fall. It, it's, it's like magic wand time, our power over them. And then not much later they come back going, why can't we cast a demon out of this young boy? They're succeeding at one point, stumbling at another, but at each point they're being directed more deeply into this life, this life of the kingdom, a life of obedience. And, and then we come to Matthew 28 and that powerful scene where Jesus, before his ascension into heaven, gathers his followers and commands them, now I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, of all people. And what's he say in Matthew 28, 20? He says to them, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And what did Jesus command them to do as he sent them out? Express my presence, my power. Express the kingdom, live out the kingdom, and preach it. Teach it to others. So I want us to see, as we're starting out here in Acts 3, that in Acts, actually Acts 1 through 3, the very pattern Jesus modeled is fleshed out again. The body of Christ is living life, ministering in the same way Jesus did. They were imperfect at it, clearly, but increasingly faithfully. And, and that's what we see in Acts 3, an expression of the kingdom followed by the preaching of the kingdom. You got that? And, and we hear that, and then we ask an understandable question, okay, so what do we do with that? And, and I'd like to unfold this a bit, and, and to do that, I I'd like to look at three guidances that I think we can glean and learn from the expression of Christ's authority that's going on here in Acts 3. To look at Peter and John in their ministry and living this way of both expressing the Spirit's presence and preaching about him. Three things we can learn together, three guidances. And, and we'll just start with this. Here's the first guidance I think we see from them. Their ministry was directed by the Holy Spirit. Can you just say the phrase with me? Their, their ministry was directed by the Holy Spirit. Okay, where do we see that? We don't see the Spirit clearly here. Well, let's see. We need, you need to dig a bit to see it here. So, so let's, let's do this. One thing, if you notice in Acts 3, is that as the followers of Jesus began living life by the power of the Spirit, they, really, they continued on in this pattern of daily temple worship, right? Interestingly. And, and understand in the temple worship of that time, there were typically and principally two daily services at which offerings and sacrifices were made. There was one in the morning and one in the evening. And Peter and John here, they're heading into the evening. Really, for us, it was more kind of afternoon service. At the ninth hour, that would be 3 p.m. for us. So what I want us to catch is this. Peter and John are simply doing what they did every day at 3 p.m. 
It sounds very spiritual to us. They were just doing what they did every day at 3 p.m. They were just going through their normal day. So I think, think of what you typically do every day at 3 p.m. Okay, you got that? That's essentially what they were doing. They were just doing their 3 p.m. thing. And they encountered this guy, this lame man, and he was doing what he did every day. Look again at Acts 3, verse 2. It says simply, And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate called the Beautiful One, to ask alms to those entering the temple. And, and so this guy had the picture. This guy at the temple, this lame man, he's really just making his living the only way he knows how to make a living, by begging from others. Now understand this. Scripture and other historical writings give us guidance that in that time in Jerusalem, around that area, there were typically three areas where beggars would congregate to ask for alms, support from others. One was at a place called the rich man's gate. Another was at the road, the highway out of Jerusalem. And the third was right here at the temple gate. And it seems likely the temple gate was probably the most attractive because for one, you knew people were coming by here at least a couple of times a day. Masses would come in. Secondly, you knew they were coming in to worship God, which would seem to prompt them to be a bit more charitable, generous, even if it was just for appearance's sake. Oh my word, I'm going to church. I gotta give the guy something. And additionally, they would typically go on with some cash or silver or gold on them to give us an offering or to buy some kind of sacrifice. And so historical writings give us a picture of this, of what was going on in the scene. This would be a place, if you picture this temple gate, where the disabled, the poor, the homeless, the outcast gathered regularly to ask for help. And, and bring that up because I want us to see that this guy in Acts 3 was only almost certainly one of many who were begging at this gate and who were there every single day. To again, we say, so what? So have this picture. Peter and John passed this guy and other beggars every single day, a couple of times today, every day. Really, they would have just been part of the background for them. They were kind of the people that you see but don't see, you know what I mean? In, in reality. There likely wasn't anything special about this guy that prompted Peter and John's attention. Nor did this guy say to Peter and John, oh, there's a follower of Jesus, I gotta ask them. Anybody who went by, they'd ask. I, I just want alms. They needed more contribution. So verse three in Acts three, we read this. Seeing Peter and John go into the temple, he asked them to receive alms. Because that's what he did every day to everybody. So we have this picture. Why was this guy healed? He wasn't healed because of his great faith. Because he wasn't even looking for a healing. By his response, he had no sense there was anything miraculous open to him in his life at this point. He was just wanting some cash, right? That's what he said. And then we read verse four, and this is where it, it starts to get weird. And Peter directed his gaze at this guy, as did John, and said, look at us. You know, you know, hey, look at me. And then it says this, and this guy fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from cash, trinket, something. And so here's the question. Why did Peter and John direct their gaze on this guy? And you could say, well, because he'd asked them for money. But there was a crowd there, all of them asking the exact same thing, right? 
That, that's what they did. And maybe you'd say, well, maybe it's because Peter and John, man, they had compassion on this guy. Well, it could be. And Peter and John were growing in the walk of the Spirit, and they were growing in compassion, certainly in a ministry mentality. But then we ask, it's, if that's what prompted Peter and John to pick out this guy, compassion, care, ministry, why didn't they heal him the day before? Or the day before that? He was there every single day. Every single day they passed by him. In fact, Acts 3 says that's where he laid every day. So where was their great compassion yesterday? And if they healed him because of compassion, why did they only heal him? Does that sound compassionate, this one guy? What about all the other beggars? Which I think prompts us to see there's something else driving this encounter here. So what is driving this encounter? This is where we look at this and think in light of the ministry of the body of Christ that was taking place. I think what happened here, friends, is something that perhaps even Peter didn't fully understand any more than we understand it completely in this. You look at the unfolding of the events and we see that. Peter and John have been growing in their sensitivity to, clearly, their obedience to the Holy Spirit in their lives, right? They've been growing in it. And we look at that and say, man, they picked this guy because the Holy Spirit of God prompted them to pick this guy, to focus in and heal this guy. The Spirit prompted them, direct your gaze at this guy, him. Yeah, the one you pass every day. Today, look at him. Look at him. They were led by the Spirit. Maybe we could say this, that they received a word of knowledge, some prompting. We don't often use that phrase, but something within them, God saying to them, him. Look at him and wonder, what, why pick him? Everyone look at him. What was that about? Why did the Spirit prompt them in this situation? And Peter and John were learning to minister more and more in the way they'd seen Jesus minister, right? That the same way we are to minister, we're to minister like Jesus. Peter and John were starting to minister more and more like him. And you think, how did Jesus minister? Jesus said in John 5, I don't do anything but by my own initiative, right? Jesus essentially saying, you see me doing miracles, you see me feeding 5,000. Understand, I don't feed them, I don't heal them just because they're there. I do it because that's what the Father, the Spirit within me is prompting me to do. And I respond to what the Father is prompting me to do by the Spirit. I don't do anything by my own initiative. That's Jesus' words. And, and clearly, that kind of approach to life and ministry, it was a mystery to the disciples at times, right? And in fact, think of that encounter in Luke chapter 8, where Jesus is walking with his disciples, and there's a great massive crowd around them. And as they're walking through this crowd, there's a woman who had an issue of blood, of, of bleeding, and she just felt, if I can just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, I'll be healed. And so somehow she gets through that crowd, touches the hem of the garden, and the power of the Spirit flows through Jesus to provide healing for this woman. And Jesus, in tune with the Spirit, knew it. And so as the disciples were walking with Jesus, remember what Jesus asked them? Who, who touched me? And the disciples, not understanding, go, what do you mean who touched you? 5,000 people are touching you. What, what in the world are you meaning? Because Jesus had a sensitivity to what the Spirit was seeking to do around him and through him. And, and friends, I think that's what's happening in Acts 3. Peter and John are going to the temple as they did every single day. But on this day, the Spirit prompts them. He directs them. 
and they were sensitive to the work of the Spirit, to, rather than walking by this guy that they'd seen a hundred times before, that they heard his request a hundred times before, but this time the Holy Spirit says to them, wait, direct your gaze on him. Look at him. Because in some way, what we read of here is a revelation, a, a prompting, a leading, a word. That sounds kind of weird. You know, I, I think in ways we read of that in Scripture and say, well, it doesn't sound weird. That's kind of a Scripture thing. But then when we apply that to our lives, then that starts to feel a little weird. But friends, I think this happens more often than we realize. I, I don't think our antenna is up to receive it or perceive it that much, perhaps. But haven't there been times in your life where maybe you've called someone or reached out to somebody, maybe you've had a specific guidance or you just felt you need to give an encouragement to somebody, that you felt kind of deeply, it was more than, this is just a good idea. It, it felt like something more than just your initiative alone. Like, almost like you were supposed to do it. You, you had that experience? And we don't know if Peter and John knew why they were to heal this man, but we knew they were supposed to heal this man. And that was enough direction for them, which leads to our second guidance from their ministry here. And the second guidance in their ministry is simply this. Notice that they acted in faith on the Spirit's direction. Let's say it together. They acted in faith on the Spirit's direction. You know, we know that Peter's confidence that this man would be healed, that taking this step of faith, it, it didn't rest on Peter's wealth of ministry experience. Peter wasn't doing this because he felt he had a particular eloquence in intercessory prayer in this situation. He even testifies he is doing this solely because he believes in the power and the work of the Spirit of Christ himself. So we hear that, we read that and think, okay, what about us? And I'll, I'll tell you this, I, I think I can speak broadly for us in this. I, I think we're so afraid of this kind of supernatural reality that, that the Spirit could be the one who at times specifically initiates who we reach out to, who I pray for, where I move, where I don't. That if the Spirit would direct me, us in that way, I think often our response would be to push it away. In, in fact, I'll say my personal heart on this is, is this. I, I feel cautious about this. And at times I'd even say I feel afraid of this because I, I, like you, have likely seen this abuse at times, right? People claiming in what they're doing, this is of God, when you know clearly that's just of your flesh, man. But at the same time, right along with that, I, I, I feel this clearly. And I, I long to hear the voice of Jesus in my life. Long to be led by his spirit but I know I'm often not even listening to how he might be seeking to guide me. So let's be reminded, we are the body of Jesus. We are, friends, we are the body of Christ. And the apostle Paul, remember what he said to the body of Christ, the church in Corinth? He, he wrote this to them in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse eight. Paul wrote, for to one in the body of Christ is given through the Spirit an utterance of wisdom, to another an utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And on he goes in describing the work of the Spirit in the body of Jesus. 
It was for the body of Christ, not just for the apostles. And he might respond, well, that was just the early church. Actually, I don't know how to respond if that's your feeling. There's nothing in Scripture saying that work of the Spirit ends. Some would point to, well, 1 Corinthians says, when the perfect comes, that's Scripture coming. How do you, that's the perfect? The perfect coming is Christ coming. Us being in his presence, we wait for that day. While we wait, his Spirit works within us. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. And, and so there was an expectancy that the Spirit expresses himself, leads among his people. So would, would we risk that? Just a couple of weeks ago, Jillian and I and our, our, our pastoral staff here and spouses were at an annual prayer retreat that's held for uh, pastors of the Alliance churches in our province. And, and so it was a gathering about 600 pastors uh, together. And uh, this year I was a primary teacher at it, so it was a very full week of ministry. And, and after one of the teaching sessions, we had time just for prayer, praying for one another. And, and during that, at the end of that, our staff kind of huddled up together to pray and pray for each other. And, and as we were praying for a number of things, I just asked, hey, can you pray for me? And our pattern is simply this. We just pull a chair to the middle of the circle, and then our pastors and spouses laid their hands on me to begin praying. And Fernando, our, our small group's pastor, he, he was right in front of me, and he said, Clyde, this might sound kind of weird, but I think I'm supposed to untie your shoelaces. And again, we're, really, we're trying to work in this and say, we don't want to quench anything of the Spirit. And also, I have a lot of confidence in Fernando's heart and discernment. So I just said, hey, be obedient. So in that circle, he, he knelt down, and he untied my shoelaces. And he said, Clyde, I, I think this is a symbol. I think the Spirit is saying to you, Clyde, be loosed. And then laying his hand on my head, he just prayed a prayer of blessing to that end. And I'll tell you this, friends, I, I know this. I know Fernando was very hesitant to do that. He, he told us he was. But I also know that his words and his action, I, I, I'll tell you, without getting into the details, that had a weight and profundity and significance to me far beyond what my friends gathered around us praying could imagine. It, it, it did, it felt like a word of knowledge, a word of blessing, honestly, from God through my partners in ministry. And, and I tell you, Fernand, it wasn't like he shared this arrogantly or forcefully. He didn't just come saying, God has spoken, untie. I mean, it, it was a gentleness, a humility, and, and a heart of obedience. And essentially, you knew this was Fernando's heart. Essentially, you knew he was feeling, I would rather be obedient to God and look ridiculous untying your shoelaces rather than being safe and missing something the Spirit's prompted me to do. So I tell you, on the first page of my sermon, what, what I, I've written in the last couple weeks, and now we'll write, be loosed. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and for us as a community of faith, last week, if you remember, what we talked about was Christ calling us to love one another. That really, it, stunningly, the credibility of Christ's ministry and mission really rests on the reality, truly, are we loving one another, practically, in a way similar to the way the Father and Son love one another. And, and I tell you, I've, I've, heard, I've heard wonderful testimonies 
from some of you about how others in our church family here have supported you, loved you during times of deep personal challenge you've been going through. But over the past couple weeks, I also talked to a couple of families in our congregation going through deep, difficult waters in their life who've felt oddly isolated from the Christian brothers and sisters. As they've walked through personal challenges that have been very heavy in their life, And as I said last week, and just remind us, the solution to this, the source for us, practically at Southview, beginning to be a loving one another community that begins to reflect the love of the Father and the Son for one another, the source of that kind of transformative, powerful, declarative love, it's not some new program. It's not just getting more people in small groups, as great as that would be. The only source for that kind of transformation with loving one another stunningly to the world around us, it is the Spirit. Us being open to, receiving, obedient to, risking, looking foolish by loving one another by the Spirit's leading through His Word as His Word guides us. Amen? Again, like Fernando modeled, it is truly us being willing to look foolish, stupid to those around us rather than miss an opportunity God might be prompting us in to truly be his hands and feet. Which I think leads to a third guidance that we see in Acts 3. And it's simply this. They ministered in dependence. Can you read that with me? They ministered in dependence. No, you know what Peter says in this passage to the lame man? is actually going to resonate through the following chapters of Acts and through Luke's story here. Because it's interesting, Peter, he was modeling Jesus, but there was a difference in what he said to this man. Peter doesn't just say to this man, stand up and walk, because that's what Jesus would have said, typically, right? In the situation. But rather, Peter makes it completely clear where the healing power resides. Look at verse 6. Peter says to him, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then look at Peter's response. When the crowds rushed to him in stunned amazement, almost ecstasy over this healing, Peter says to them, people, if there's anything on earth that I know right now, it is this. I am not the source and provider of this healing. It is not me. It's the power of the name of Jesus, Nazarene, here and everywhere. Peter shouts to them in that gathering, there is a power in the name of Jesus. Verse 12, this is how it's expressed in Acts 3. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made him well? It's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of your fathers, who's glorifying this, his servant Jesus. It's Jesus. It all comes back to him. We talk of this work in us. It's him living among us. So can I give us a a one-word exhortation as, as we move into a week of ministry, not just a week, but into a year, and say, how will we walk this year? Could this be a word that prompts us again? Could it simply again be risk? Could that be the word? Because I know this from God's word from my own life as well. I know you will not see the provision of God. You will not experience the interceding power of God You will not identify the the filling of the Spirit in your life if all you do in life are the things you can accomplish by your own power and wisdom. 
And again, speaking from my own tendencies in this, I, I, I think that's often where most of us live and minister. And, and we might think, man, I just haven't seen God's presence expressed in my life. Friends, could it be because you've never had to lean on him to provide where your own capabilities are insufficient? You've never risked that point. You've never been willing to look foolish and say, if God doesn't show up, I'm hooped. So, so would we, would we as a people say, we will step out and risk in faith? Because perhaps God, by your simple obedience, wants to minister through you. Can you imagine? And I am, I'm still learning this. Now, even through this incredible journey that Robin and Jody and Jamin and Maya have been on, it's seven months hospitalized, and, and, and I know God has used, because I've heard your testimonies, God has used Jody's journey to mold us. And I'm pretty sure, you know what? She'd be delighted at that. In fact, several weeks ago, uh, Jody was about to undergo what would be a final, but very significant surgery for her. And it was a Monday morning, it was my day off, and I you know, tired from the weekend and heard about the upcoming surgery, and I was at home, I was just doing some work on the computers, Jillian was away out of town. And when I heard, just had this impulse, go to the hospital. And you know, I feel like you do. I, I don't have adequate words. I, I know that feeling. But I thought, you know what, I'll go. And I'll, I'll just get this stuff done first. And, and it was like right away, just this prompting. Go now. It wasn't an audible voice. It was just kind of a, an impulse or whatever. So trusting it might be God, I just got in the car immediately. I, I drove up to Foothills Hospital and, and, and walked to the intensive care unit and, and got there, pushed the button at the doors to get access. Nothing happened, pushed it again, and those two big steel doors started open. And what, what I didn't know was that uh, through that morning, Robin and Ben at Jody's bedside having to tell her she might not make it through the surgery. And that that evening, he was gonna bring their two children, Jamin and Maya, to say what could be their last goodbyes to one another and, and say words of blessing to one another. Can you imagine saying that to the love of your life? So, so Robin finished that gut-wrenching conversation with Jody. And he walked down the ICU corridor to leave push the button to the ICU doors, and when the door is open, there I was standing. <laughs> and honestly, in, in my ignorance, my, my inadequacy. And I, I tell you, as I, I looked at him, I, I didn't have a clue about their conversation, but looking at him, you knew. And just nowhere, just embraced my brother and felt him just go limp and weep. I told Robin later as we were having lunch, man, I, I came here in ignorance. And it was just kind of a leading and came to just such a clear awareness. It, it was God saying, Clyde, I want to wrap my arms around my son Robin. So get up there and do it for me. And, and because of that simple obedience, I, I got to be in the middle of kind of a, a conduit in some ways of God expressing his love for his child, Robin. And friends, I'll tell you, that, and I've told Robin this, that, that experience for me, and perhaps I'm wondering if it might be a metaphor for us as a body together. 
that thinking of Peter and John, like Peter and John that day at the beautiful gate, Jesus is seeking to send us out, expressing his love by his spirit, sharing his gospel, living the kingdom in, in, in ways that seem so inadequate to us, that, that clearly seem to pale in comparison to the physical healing Peter and John brought on that day. But by Christ empowering and provision, it's a way that Jesus tangibly wants to use us to love one another and the world around us so that they'd look on and say, it must be true. Jesus must be king. So, so would we say yes? You know, as we conclude our time here, I, I, I want to invite you just to a time of prayer now. We're going to have a closing song and, and invite you even to come forward if you'd like. Uh, for myself, I find physical expressions of prayer very helpful. And maybe you want to come, maybe there's a burden on your heart. Or maybe there's a request you have, maybe it's for wisdom or, or health, for guidance in an area of your life, for grace. Or maybe you just want to bring thanksgiving to God, whatever it is. Again, as we, we sing this closing song together, just I, I'm going to invite you during that to come forward to pray. And, and you can pray on your own if you wish, feel free to do that. Or elders, pastors, care team members are going to come forward, we can pray with you as well. And then just before we sing, let me, let me lead us and pray together. So Father, as a community, stumbling along imperfectly, but as well knowing by your grace we're empowered by the Spirit. Now, Father, we would pray, would you, cause, would you cause us to be loosed, to express your Spirit's presence in love and grace and power, to be able to speak of your kingdom to those seeking and, and we come now to you with these matters on our hearts. Even as we sing praise to you, we come in Jesus' name.